Hello and welcome back to the Calm 122 podcast. It's episode 8. My name is Nina and I'll be your host for today. Just kidding, it's still Max. Hey guys, let's get back into things. In this episode, we will discuss challenges to media globalization and how media institutions adapt to these challenges. The first challenge is the uneven development in media technology and telecommunication infrastructure. We refer to this problem as the digital divide. In 2016, the United Nations declared the promotion, protection, and enjoyment of the Internet to be human rights. However, while the Internet penetration rate was 79.6% in Europe and 87% in the U.S., it was barely 22% in Africa. In many parts of the world, a stable supply of electricity remains an issue, not to mention high-speed Internet. Of course, things are changing with the quick adoption of mobile phones in South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Latin America. Uneven development requires media institutions to come up with different audience targeting strategies. For instance, while institutions in North America are invested in using social media to raise awareness campaigns on public health issues, in the rural developing countries, TV series proved to be very effective in changing social norms and behaviors. For more info, please read the BBC coverage of Detective Vijay, a TV series in India featuring an HIV-positive detective. The second challenge is a legal and political one. Netflix, for example, is available in over 150 countries, but not in Crimea, a former part of Ukraine and now annexed by Russia. This is due to the U.S.'s sanctions on Russia. Oh yes, let's talk about Netflix in China. In 2017, Netflix announced that it had reached a licensing deal with a local video streaming company in China. Based on the Chinese laws and regulations, foreign companies providing information services must partner with local companies, and local companies should be the majority shareholder in the joint venture. Needless to say, had the deal gone through, Netflix's content in China would also be highly selective and censored by the state. The deal never went through. The Chinese new cybersecurity law that went into effect in 2017 has made American tech companies' presence in China increasingly difficult, if not impossible. While the legal and political barrier is largely associated with economic protectionism, sometimes the barrier also has something to do with strong local competitions. In the Chinese case, there were already three local major video streaming giants at the time of Netflix's potential entry. The local companies are doing very well in the Chinese domestic market and have been expanding overseas. Even if Netflix were present in China, it would face an uphill battle with local competitors. Piracy is another legal challenge. Because of the relative ease of copying and transmitting digital content, some argue that media institutions have lost revenues to piracy. But does it? It's a debatable point. For that point, refer to the video shown in class titled, Can Piracy Be Good for Business? Lastly, the linguistic and cultural barriers. Selling Russian films to an American audience? Well, something is bound to be lost in translation. What is key here is not just a common language, but a cultural proximity. Some cultural linguistic markets may have an advantage and benefit closely from linked geographies. Other cultural and linguistic markets may be other cultural and linguistic markets may be based on diasporic communities due to colonization and immigration. Be noted that places that seem to be culturally similar may have very different types of audiences. For example, crazy rich Asians won big in America but lost big in the Chinese market. Local audiences China just don't resonate with the film at all. Want to know more? Watch the clip from CBS we played in class. Now, how do media institutions overcome these barriers? For the linguistic barriers, the most straightforward strategy is dubbing and subtitling. But it's an expensive operation. Have you heard of fan subbing? It refers to fan-made subtitles for movies and TV shows. 
There have been quite many active fan subbing communities doing the voluntary work of translation, but they work in a gray area, legally speaking. In 2017, a Dutch court ruled that fan-made subtitles are illegal because subtitles are considered part of a media franchise's intellectual property. For cultural barriers, media institutions can overcome by localizing media content. They can remove media goods from their original or immediate cultural surroundings and reproduce them in another locale. They might also need to change the narrative techniques used. Notice that these local adaptations are new products, also called derivative work. Would adaptation go too far? Media institutions may edit media content to a greater extent to please local audiences or even comply with local authorities. You can watch the latest clip from Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj regarding Netflix's adaptation to the Saudi Arabian market. If there were one element that is universal, it is on-stage competition. People of every culture love to watch people compete with one another on screen. That is perhaps why the media franchise The Amazing Race and talent shows are so popular. Media institutions can sell not just content, but format. Format sales mean selling the particular features of a media good for complete reproduction in another country. When a format is sold, a new version of the media good is produced based on the original copyrighted product. The premise, character, and norms of the original are localized to fit the new setting. The last strategy involves co-production. It is a business arrangement in which production staff and creative workers from more than one country and organization work together in producing the product. Co-production could be an effective way to enter a market with strict legal and political barriers. A recent example involves Green Book, an Oscar-winning film in 2018. It was co-produced by Alibaba Picture, a Chinese tech giant. Through the co-production, this film was able to enter the Chinese market and become the second highest-grossing Best Picture winner in the country behind the movie Titanic. Sure, there are many other strategies media institutions use to open new doors to new frontiers, particularly in their dealings with the Chinese market. Such tactics include local product placement, employing A-list talent, revenue-sharing deals with theaters, producing originals just for the market, and many more. These practices are shaping the traditional film industry in the States. For more info on that, watch the clip from Vox on how China has reshaped Hollywood. That's all for today. Have a question? Let me or Professor Wayne know. This is Max, signing off.